Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the Gospel for today is one that has puzzled and fascinated Christians up and down the centuries. And one that I've always found difficult to preach on because people respond to it in funny ways. It's the story of the Canaanite woman who asks Jesus for a favor and then is put off by him, frustrated by his lack of response. Remember how it begins? Behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Now, normally Jesus responds to this kind of request. Remember Bartimaeus, Son of David, have pity on me. And Jesus calls him over. Usually when people ask him for a favor, he's, he's responsive. He's come to heal. He's come to save. But instead, here's what we have. Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. He just doesn't respond to her at all. More to it, the disciples get in on the act. His disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. So, so they're annoyed with her. And he says... I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, it doesn't sound like him, does it? It seems odd that he'd be sort of fussy. Here's this woman, she's suffering. Yeah, she's a Canaanite, she's not an Israelite. And he says, well, I haven't come for those people. I've just come for the Israelites. But she persists. She came and did Jesus' homage saying, Lord, help me. Now, can you imagine her persistence? She's been calling out, calling out. Now she comes right up to him. She kneels down, does him homage. Lord, please help my daughter. How often in the gospel Jesus responds to just this kind of thing. But listen to him now. He said in reply, It's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Whew. First he's silent. And that, that's almost insulting enough. Suppose... You know, you were a doctor. You had this ability to help someone. They came to you asking for help, and you just gave them the, you know, cold shoulder. Then his disciples say, send her away. And then he indirectly insults her the first time. Now it seems he's directly insulting her. I don't give, you know, a, a food to the dogs. Then she has that great comeback. It's one of the great one-liners in world literature. She said, Please, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. That's wonderful, isn't it? She's been put off three times. Imagine how frustrated she must have felt. Imagine how almost any one of us would just have given up. And she's insulted, it seems, by Jesus. But then she has the presence of mind to come back with that one-liner. Then... Jesus says in reply, and we can imagine now almost with a smile playing on his lips, Oh woman, great is your faith. 
let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. Okay, strange story, isn't it? Odd. First of all, Jesus seems to be so out of character here. Why is he acting this way? Then we see this woman, she's so persistent, and then she finally gets what she wants. What do we conclude from it? Well, in the course of my lifetime, the years since the council, the usual way to preach on this story is to say something like this. Here's Jesus at the end of a long day. He's like a pastoral minister who's been through all kinds of stuff, and he's just a little bit annoyed. And so we see this very human side of him that he's, he's a little bit fed up with this woman and doesn't respond. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I've never found that too persuasive. I find much more interesting, much more compelling, an explanation which is classical, but one that you rarely hear now. Namely, Jesus is testing her faith. Jesus, by his silence, by his reticence, even by his sharp words, is testing her faith. Now, why don't we like that language? Well, it sounds a bit capricious and arbitrary, doesn't it? And here's this powerful figure, and he's, he's playing with her, kind of like the, a cat playing with a mouse. He's testing her, trying her. It seems disproportionate. Well, I don't know. Let's think about this theme of the Lord testing us. Because I think the more you look at the Bible, the more you find this theme on display. Let me give you some examples. The most famous case in the book of Genesis. Abraham's faith is tested. And in a way that, boy, does seem rather harsh, doesn't it? Abraham, yes, Lord, here I am. I want you to sacrifice to me your own son. You, you, you want me to sacrifice my son whom you promised to me and through whom I become a great nation? Th this child of my old age, that's the, you want me to sacrifice? Yes. So Abraham goes through that terrible ordeal. Remember days long they marched to Mount Moriah, Isaac marching with him. And then they come to that climactic moment where he ties Isaac to the altar and then he lifts the knife. It's wrenching his own heart out. And only then is he stopped by the angel. No, no, now I see the quality of your faith. It was a test of Abraham's faith. A test of it. Where else do we see it? Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob spends a whole night wrestling with an angel. Wrestling with him. And the fight doesn't go well. Jacob, in fact, is permanently injured in the fight. He has a limp the rest of his life. He wrestles with God, wrestles with him. Why? He's testing him. He's trying him. Awakening something in him. Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. Joseph spends seven years in an Egyptian prison. Why? His faith, his fidelity is being tried as gold is tried in the fire, the Bible says. Maybe the most terrible example, though, is Job. I've preached before in the story of Job. God says, there's my servant Job. How good he is. How faithful, how loyal he is to me. Satan says, well, sure, of course he is. He's got every blessing. Let me have Adam. Let me take away his health. 
Let me take away his family. Let me take away his wealth. And I bet he'll curse you. And so God says, off you go. To test him. And remember, the devil does his worst. Job is stripped of everything. And yet maintains his fidelity. He was tried by the Lord. What do we make of this? Do we find these examples just as off-putting as the one from the Gospel today? Do we say, well, what kind of God do we have? This God who plays with us, tries us capriciously. You know, Lord, it was all the same to you. I prefer not to be tested. Thank you very much. I mean, isn't that our, our natural response? But let's think about it a bit. It appears that God does indeed test those who are close to him. Why? John Henry Newman said this, Things do by opposition grow. I'll say it again. It's a good principle. Things do by opposition grow. Weightlifters know it. You want your muscles to grow? You give them something to press against. Let's say you start weightlifting, you have a relatively light weight, but still your muscles are, are developing from that effort. But if you keep lifting the same weight, your muscles won't grow. In fact, you keep lifting that same weight over many, many months, your muscles will actually get smaller. What must you do? You must continually add weight. You must continually make this more of a trial. So your muscles have something more to press against, and then you find they grow. Things do by opposition grow. When they're given a test and a trial, they develop. Something comes out that was not there before. If you find a gifted baseball player, eight or nine-year-old kid, who's got gifts, he can throw the ball, he's got a good eye, he can hit, he can judge pitches, good, let him play. But you want him to get better? You want those skills to develop? Put him up against tougher pitchers. Put him out in the field against a tougher hitter. Someone's going to hit a good line drive at him. And then year by year, if you're a good coach, you'll continually try him. And listen, listen. You will try and test precisely the student you think is gifted. You'll try and test the player that you think has what it takes because that trial will bring out of that kid more and more ability. You find some young person gifted on the piano and you teach them a few simple melodies. You know, they play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Good, they can do it. That's enough of a trial at first. Six months later, a year later, that kid is still playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. He'll make no progress. In fact, his skills will regress. What you must do if you're a good piano teacher, you keep giving that kid tougher and tougher trials setting greater challenges to him. By the time he's 12 or 13, he's playing maybe some of the simpler pieces of Beethoven. By the time he's 16, you're giving him box complex fugues. By the time he's in his 20s, he's ready to play the world masters. Good, good. Trial, testing, brings out powers we didn't think we had. And it's precisely the gifted kid that you try the most. I love this from the rule of St. Benedict. It says, when a young man comes to the monastery, 
seeking entry. Don't let him in easily. Try him. Test him. Make it hard for him. Only that way will you test to see whether his faith is really strong, whether his desire is strong. And then during that novitiate year, if you've talked to novice masters in monasteries, their purpose is to make life difficult for those young people. Try them, test them, give them something to press against, and it brings out powers they never knew they had. So I'm sure you see my point. Why should our relationship with God be any different? Why is it so puzzling that God would test us, would try us, would give us at times something strong to press against? Listen now how Jesus deals with this woman. Is he being difficult with her capriciously? No. Is it because he had a bad day at work? No. It seems to me this is the divine master doing what he always does. Finding someone who has faith. Yes, she's come to him asking this favor. But now he's giving her something hard to press against. His own silence. His own reticence. And if her faith was weak, she'd just walk away. But no. In the struggle with him, the faith comes out stronger and stronger. She cries out. And finally, that beautiful line of hers, Lord, even even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. Well, that's born of a very deep and a very powerful faith. How come God doesn't give me what I want when I want it? How come he seems silent sometimes? Maybe he's giving my faith something hard to press against, something hard to resist. Because in that very trial, in that very struggle, my faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together, We might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.